But there's something about marriage that coming together brings out the best and the worst in us. And if we're not careful in the midst of coming together, something that's beautiful and something that starts so pure and so right and it feels so right, and if it feels so right, how can it be wrong? And the right other love song you want to sing out there to it. But how something that can be so right can go so wrong. There's no guarantees that we will love each other till death us do part, even though we pledge that before God and before many witnesses. If we don't take proper measures and steps. But I know you tell a young couple who's got that euphoric kind of love, that love that just captures you and draws you in, and, and you, you sleep thinking about this person, you're awake thinking about this person, you can't wait to see this person, and it just kind of is your energy for life. And it cannot end, right? It cannot end. There's actually been studies done on this. Scientist Elaine Walster uh, actually received grant money by the National Science Foundation to study romantic love. And just how long does that heart-stomping, pounding kind of love last? And six to 13 months on the average is what that euphoric kind of love lasts. It doesn't last forever. It can last a long time, longer than maybe uh, than others, and it depends on from relationship to relationship. But the reality is if, if that love relationship is built on euphoria and feeling, it will not go the distance. There was a 20-year-old, Kelly Ferguson, who runned, I guess you might say, a cruise ship uh, journey for a lot of families when on this cruise ship, 2,400 people were frisked down and searched out and pulled aside as the, the ship that was sailing for Mexico, uh, leading out from California, had to divert itself and end up in Honolulu because there were terroristic threats to kill all Americans on board, only to find out that it was Kelly who had been writing these letters because she was mad at her parents for taking her on the cruise ship for the summer uh, for a vacation because she wanted to stay home with her boyfriend. And uh, that ended up rocking her world and everybody else's world. But that's what happens when euphoric love takes over. Sanity and rationality can easily go out. And then craziness steps in. And when that happens, trouble ensues upon us and caves in all around us. And then all of a sudden that what was once a euphoric marriage ends up going south. It's like one man who got two round-trip tickets uh, to Hawaii, so he booked two for himself. He didn't want to take his wife. I don't know. I guess that's what happens on the other side of euphoria is whenever you just want to be alone and want to get away from each other. Another little fourth-grade Sunday school teacher was uh, asking um, the kids a question, and she said, what does the Bible say about marriage? One little four-year-old kid piped up and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Well, that's in the Bible, and Jesus did say that, but he said that from the cross, and it was not about marriage. Marriage can be a euphoric, mountaintop, beautiful, awesome experience, or it can literally be hell on earth. And sometimes they can be two relationships and two houses side by side on two totally different planes. Why is that? 
You could be sitting next to a couple right now in this room who fought all the way to church, who've been fighting all weekend, and they're struggling. You know, it was appropriate that Jared opened us up with a message and a song on healing because some of our relationships and our marriages need healing. Zig Ziglar said it like this, You have got to be before you can do. You have got to do before you can have. I like that statement. Because I think we would all like to have a great marriage. But unless we do the right things to have that great marriage, then we won't. And unless not only do we do the right things, before you can do the right things, you must be the right person. Are you the right person in your relationship? Take your Bibles. We find in the book of First Peter. First Peter chapter 3 is where we'll be at today. It's one of those passages that I think has a lot to say to us. It actually has a lot to say to men and to women, to husbands and to wives. Now, the interesting thing is we're going to look at seven verses But out of these seven verses, six of the verses are devoted to the wife. One verse is devoted to the husband. Now, I would like to think that the wife needs more work done on her than the husband does. But Lori tells me, no, it's because your attention span is too short. That's why he had to summarize it and bring it down to one verse. So whatever your perspective is, I don't know. But here we go. We have a passage of Scripture where he jumps right in and he starts dealing with wives. And in this As he's dealing with the wives, he's really encouraging the wives to know how to build a home that will be fireproof. And again, how many of you all have seen the movie Fireproof? A great movie. I mean, granted, it's not the highest dollar movie out there as far as quality, but the quality of the message ranks high and above everything else that I think comes out. And I would say from Hollywood, but this didn't even come from Hollywood. It came from a church in Georgia. So, the, 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 But when you come to talking about the marriage, and, and Peter in, in his writing in First Peter is really trying to shore up the foundations of this early church and, and these early believers. And as he comes, he comes to the home because as the home goes, so goes many times the church, so goes the community. And so Peter realizes the value of if we're going to shore up our, our foundation, if we're going to make sure we're strong, we need to make sure our homes are strong. Because if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. We know that one. And if dad's not happy, he really sets the temperature for the entire thermostat to the entire home. So what is it like in your home, and how are you building a fireproof home? Well, let me just challenge, first of all, to the wives. The challenge goes out to the wives in their part in building a home. Let's begin reading in verse 1 of chapter 3. And in the same way, you wives, be submissive to your husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient in the word, they may be won without the word by the behavior of their wives. As they observe your chaste and respectful behavior, your adornment must, be, must not be merely external the braiding of the hair, the wearing gold jewelry, and the putting on dresses. Let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable qualities of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. As you think about it, wives, how can we help contribute to the home? 
How do we make a home strong? How, do, how can you bring to your family strength and, and, and sustainability that can go through the storms? Well, he mentioned several things here, so don't throw anything at me. We're just going to be looking at what Peter said, all right? And the very first thing he, he challenges the wives is that there ought to be a submissive attitude about a wife. Now, there's some who may be in this room immediately is ready to check out of here, throw something at me for saying that. All right, the first brick that a wife can use in building the home is a submissive attitude. Now, I want to say this on the front end of this, and that this is not something that the husband dictates down to the wife. Notice in this that he says, wives, you be submissive. You choose to be submissive. Let's read it again. He said, wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even in their disobedience of the word, they may, may be one without the word and the behavior of the wives. The wives' behavior and the idea and the concept of submission is one of those that I'm afraid for many people is abused, is used and abused in our homes. Either it's the husband saying, you're supposed to submit, or it's the wife who's angrily not wanting that idea. What does it mean in this concept of submission? And again, let's just kind of pull back some of the layers of the minutia that we have in our culture on this very topic. One view that was very popular when Peter was writing this was the Roman view, which really suppressed women. This is what Sinaka said in his writings in that modern-day soap opera. He said, women are married to be divorced and divorced to be married. That was the view of the Roman culture. The second view is the Greek culture. They, they, they used women. And, and the way that it was said in, in that day is that we have prostitutes for the sake of pleasure, we have concubines for the sake of daily cohabitation, and we have wives to have legitimate children. That was the concept in the Greek culture. Then there's also the Jewish culture that really negated women because a devout Jew would pray a prayer like this daily. Thank God that I am not a slave, a Gentile, or a woman. I mean, what a prayer. I mean, but that's what a devout Jew would pray. If you take any of these three cultural prominent views of that day, you have women degraded, demeaned, and demoted. And that is absolutely not the view of Peter or Paul or any other writer in the New Testament. I don't believe that represents them at all. In fact, when you go on and you understand the word submission, it's, it's actually a Greek word, hupoteso, which actually means to go willingly under the authority of someone else. Now, let me give you a biblical example of this word being used. It is when Jesus, in Philippians chapter 2, willingly submits himself to and under the authority of someone else, that being God. All right? In uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 to 8, it says this, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled, he hupotesoed himself. He literally put himself under the leadership of God the Father. Now, I have a question to you. Did Jesus ever stop being God? No, he was as much God as he was man. Was Jesus ever demeaned, demoted, or, or degraded by being, uh, by being under God's authority? Absolutely not. 
They were in beautiful harmony with one another. You can read truly the Lord's Prayer in John 17 and find how they were in absolute beautiful harmony with one another. In fact, Jesus prays that we would be one just as He and the Father are one. So it is not a demeaning, a demotion, or anything like that. It is a beautiful synergy whenever two can become one and the, and the husband takes the lead as the wife willingly of her own accord, her own desire, submits to the husband's lead. It can be a beautiful synergy in a relationship. So there's first of all, the first brick that a, a wife can build a, 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 of a fireproof home is that of a submissive attitude. The second is a sanctifying actions. Because he talks about the idea here of being. Oh, let's just let's just pick up reading in the middle uh, of verse of verse one or verse. Yeah, let's pick up reading verse two. As they aver, observe your chaste and respectful behavior, that literally there ought to be something about your life that is so sanctifying, so right that they're watching you as an example of what it means to walk with God. The beauty of this is, is that whenever a wife in her own life is so marked by a commitment to Christ that she is literally encouraging the husband by her, not her words so much of a nagging, but by her life and her lifestyle. The husband says, listen, if I'm going to be the lead, I'm going to have to get out in front of my wife because she is a true spiritual giant in my life. That's a beautiful picture of a marriage where both are, are challenging each other forward in their faith as she lives it out in that chaste and respectful behavior. You're, and then he goes on. And here's one, one more thing that he challenges the ladies with. He says that we ought to have a serene adornment. All right? Now he talks about this here. He says that your adornment must not merely be external braiding of the hair and the wearing of gold uh, jewelry and the putting on of dresses. But let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. You know, I think in our culture we do adorn ourselves quite a bit. In fact, this word adornment is the Greek word cosmos, which is where we get our English word, um, our English word cosmetics. How much do we spend in cosmetics year after year? How much do we spend in making sure we have beautiful jewelry on us? How much do we, diamonds are our girl's best friend, believe that and go with that? How much do we spend adorning ourselves in clothes? Now, I'm not saying that is important. I'm not. I'm actually saying that is important. But if we're going to spend our time on that, he doesn't say don't do that. He says don't let that be the focus. To spend time there, okay, maybe, but let's move past that and let's make sure we're developing internally. You know, of these American models that we have that deal with their own lifestyles and and, and so forth, that actually long-term modeling is actually only a 1% success in career. Most people are there for only a very short time. They can't maintain the rigorous routine, the demands on their body and diet and so forth. Only 1% will go on for any length of long-term commitment to, to modeling because they just can't sustain it. But there is one thing that is true. 
our body. In fact, I can remember one time I had a secretary in college. She was a work-study secretary. I was uh, an admissions rep, and, the, and, the, and my secretary came in, and she said, she was very depressed that day. She had just come from biology class, and she realized that whatever age she was, 19, 20, 21, she realized from biology class that her teacher says, now your body is dying. She says, you, 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 your body was replenishing itself all the way up until about 20, 21 or so, and then now your body starts dying, and we have to start propping it up. And she came in depressed about that. And the reality is, is our body is dying, and we are fading away from this world. And, and what, what used to look a certain way doesn't look a certain way anymore. We have more to look at, maybe. I don't know what it is, but uh, we, it, it is what it is. And so here, here it is. But the reality is that that is going to fade away. But what can be maintained and what can be beautiful is what is internal. Here's my challenge to the ladies today. I want you this week to time yourself in front of the mirror. All the different outfits you try on, all the different times you put on the makeup, all the different times you adorn yourself with the different accessories of life. I want you to time yourself. Average that out for the week. And next week, the next week, or maybe even start it this week, for the same amount of time that you spend in front of the mirror, you'll spend in front of God's Word. If it's 10, 15 minutes, spend 10 or 15 minutes in silence, solitude, and Scripture. What would it do if we spent as much time focusing on our internal development, spiritual development, developing a gentle and quiet spirit as we would making sure we look good on the outside? Men, let's, let's think about ourselves for a second. Husband's part in building a home. This is important, guys. We only have one verse, but this one verse is powerful. This one verse is, is full. It's chocked full. And I, and I want to challenge the men as I've challenged the men for two years now in men's fraternity that we've got to get past passivity. We've got to get past looking to our wives to be the spiritual leaders or, or expecting our wives to, to, to carry us. We're going to bring home the bacon, but you take care of everything else. We've got to move past that. This is what A.W. Coe said in his book, Passive Men, Wild Women. He said, over the last few years, I have seen in my office an increasing number of couples who share a common denominator. The man is active, articulate, energetic, and usually successful in his work, but is inactive, inarticulate, and lethargic and withdrawn at home. In his relationship with his wife, he is passive, and in his passivity drives her crazy. In the face of his retreat, she goes wild. Man, it's time for us to step up and really be men. I read that quote back in October. I read that quote back in October when we had our Men Up conference leading into that. I challenged you then to step out of passivity. I've been challenging men for two years in men's fraternity to step out of passivity. My question to the men of our Grace Point Church, are you still passive? What are you doing to, as a man in your family to make sure your family is fireproof? Here's a couple of things that he gives us in verse 7. The very first brick that a man can lay in a home is deep understanding. Is deep understanding. Look at verse 7. He says, husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way. 
Live with your wives and understanding. How much time do you spend understanding the analytics, understanding the markets, understanding the P&Ls, understanding all of the other stuff of this world versus taking that same energy to understand our spouse? On the day that I'm preparing this message, sitting down uh, at my desk in, in front of my computer and just about to meet with God on this message, okay, Lori and I have just had an argument the night before, and it's lingering over a little bit. Remember, I have 24 hours before the sun goes down the next day. And so, uh, anyway, um, and so we we're kind of, it's kind of carrying over. And, and, and so she comes in, and the argument ensues, and it goes on for about 30 minutes. And then I win, of course, and she leaves the room. And then I turn around to my computer to write this message on marriage. That day was a wash. I can give you that one. Because all day I'm sitting here thinking about, as she's stating, I feel this way and you don't say this and you don't... But I do this and I do this and I do this and I give all the buts. The reality is, is I was not understanding her. I was wanting to state my views and I was wanting to show her where I did what I did and, and how it was right and how you need to pay better attention to how I've done this and and she says, you just don't understand it. You just don't get it. Williams' translation of this very phrase says that there needs to be intelligent consideration. Intelligent consideration. Men, live with your wives with intelligent consideration. There was one Swiss psychologist who was truly trying to write a dissertation and spent many years studying the psychology of women. This is a male doctor studying the psychology of women. And for 30 years at the end of it, he says, what is it that they want anyway? That was his conclusion. What is it that they want anyway? It's hard to figure it out. And this is what David Burns says. He says, what most people really want is to be listened to, respected, and understood. The moment people see that they're being understood, they become more motivated to understand your point of view. What a powerful concept. That I would literally go into an, a relationship and into a, a conversation with my chief aim understanding the other person across from me. Especially when it's my spouse. Another is devoted praise. Men, you want to build your home? Praise your wife. Praise her. Let there be devoted praise. He said uh, in verse 7, he said, understanding the way and uh, as someone who's a weaker, uh, someone who's weaker, and she is physically weaker than us, okay? It doesn't mean she's weaker emotionally, weaker uh, intellectually. She's physically weaker since she is a woman. And show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. Show her honor. Praise. Honor is the same word that we would use to honor our father and our mothers. So what if you honored your wife the same way you want your children to honor you? Think about it like that. And maybe you don't get the honor from your children because you're not giving honor to your wife. And maybe if the man would step up and show what honor looks like, there would be honor in the family. You see the connection? They're only doing what they see us doing. They're only not doing what they see us not doing. 
Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her in Ephesians 5.25. See, the reality is in, in this day of women's lib that equal rights for women I think is actually probably not the healthiest position to hold. Because women, why would you want to be equal with a man when a man should be honoring you? The reality is it's not that a, a woman should be want to be equal with a man. She should want to be a woman, as Scripture points out, a woman ought to be treated, which is higher than a man. Think about it like that. When Christ died, He died for the church. When Christ loved, He says, love your wife as Christ loved the church. That is a serious, significant love. Finally, men, you want to build your house fireproof? Realize the divine communion involved here. That there is a direct connection between your walk with God and how that filters into your home. Verse 7 says again, Honor your wife as fellow heirs in the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. Your prayers will not be hindered. The idea here is that that there is a relationship in my spiritual world and my, in, my, in my marital world. And that whenever my marital world is not well, guess what? My spiritual world will not be well. Why couldn't I turn around that very day and start preparing this message right here that I'm sharing to you? It's because there was duplicity in my life. Because I was not honoring my wife. I was not understanding my wife. And when that is lived out, oh, my lands, guess what? My life with God suffers as well. A Harvard study reveals that couples, now listen to this, this is powerful, that couples who read the Bible together regularly, one, two, pray regularly, three, attend church regularly, have a divorce rate of one in 1,287. That's less than one-tenth of a percent. When we are in harmony with each other and we are in harmony with God, it is a beautiful, beautiful thing. I want that for you. I want that for me. I want us to live with our spouses, men, in an understanding way, honoring them, honoring them, honoring them as a woman, not as your cook, not as your laundry maid. Honoring them. Tertullian said this in A.D. 200. And the reason I read this is because I think Christian marriages really for years have been a beautiful thing. How beautiful when a marriage of two Christians, two who, are, who have one in hope, one in desire, one in the way of life, they follow one in the religion they practice They are brother and sister, both servants of the same master. Nothing divides them, either in the flesh or in the spirit. They are, in very truth, two in one flesh. And there is but one flesh. There is also but one spirit. They pray together. They worship together. They fast together. They instructing one another, encouraging one another, strengthening one another. Side by side, they They visit God's church and partake in God's banquet. Side by side, they face difficulties and persecutions and share their consolations. I don't care if it's in the 200 A.D. or if it's 
2009. That's beautiful. And when couples come together, it's awesome. But there's no guarantees you stay there. In the movie, Fireproof, Catherine and, and Caleb began to fight after some years. She begins to see that there's another man who's showing her greater affection and attention. She begins to emotionally go where she will soon be physically, if not careful. Caleb has his other little pleasures on the side and self-centeredness on the side, and the marriage is collapsing until dad gives son a 40-day challenge. It's a 40-day love dare challenge. And guys, by the way, this is how goofed up I am. I thought today was Father's Day until last Sunday. I want a week-long celebration of this, okay? So we're starting today, and we'll celebrate again next week. The, the challenge was for Caleb for, to take a 40-day Love Dare challenge. And in that Love Dare challenge was to, to, to practice honoring and to practice understanding and to practice these things that we talk about. And so men as leaders, the challenge to you is, is to come take the love there. And, and the reason we're not handing them out the door is because some men may need to come and bow here for a while. Some, some men, I, I don't know, they may, they may need to just take them back and hold their wife's hand and say, Honey, pray with me as I take the love there. Let's pray. Father God, this is your time. This is your place. And you created something so beautiful when you saw that Adam was alone. And it wasn't good and it wasn't complete. And somehow you wanted a helper, a completer in his life. And you created Eve. And since that time, Lord, we have been joining ourselves together in marriage. Some with great levels of intimacy and some with not so great levels. And Father, it comes down to comes down to a level of commitment that we're willing to make to protect what you've built. And so God, I pray first of all for our men today that they will take the dare. They will dare to love their wives, honor them, understand them. Our wives will take a dare of their own to focus on developing internally, spiritually, becoming chaste in their life, becoming right before you, to living out their convictions and not just speaking of them. But they will also be willing to hupoteso their lives under the leadership of godly husbands around them. Lord, we thank you for this time. Speak to our hearts in this time. In Jesus' name, amen.